Since last April, when I received that first Facebook message, escapees from Milford Christian, both the church and the academy, have contacted me in droves. They'd been listening to me in secret for about a year, and they didn't just want to talk about McGuffey's and Maps. While they did want to speak to me about Doreen's case and all they knew about her father, it soon became obvious that Mark Vincent was a symptom of a much bigger problem. But I remember last summer when, because um, they kind of exploded in our circle of Milford Christian survivors about Mark's daughter, because none of us had ever heard about it, and then the podcast kind of came up and we all started talking about it. I brought it up with my mom, and she's like, well, we've always heard rumors about things, but, you know, no one knew anything for sure. And I'm like, you heard rumors that this man might have, you know, sexually assaulted or killed people, and you were like, yeah, let me send my kid where he's working sometimes. Right. Carpentry work. What I tell people is, I grew up in a cult. Yeah. Because that's what it was. I'm like, hearing the podcast, hearing things about how Dorian was expected to live and everything, I'm like, no wonder my statement ended up that Milford Christian because that's exactly the type of place he would end up. At first, it was mostly former Berean kids who were now all grown up. There's a lot of us out there. We, you know, a lot of us grew up in that uh, awful, awful, awful place. And that is, a, you can quote me on that. You can call it awful. You can call it fucking awful. You can call it terrible. You can call it abusive. Over and over, people struck the same chord. I mean, everything is upside down with that place. The wrong way, you know, everything's wrong. As Berean alums learned they could speak to me confidentially, and that I would keep them anonymous and could alter their voices, the circle widened. I don't know what it is, but it really is like, and we used to joke, like I've always, I mean, I've always said it, I said it to my mom when we were on speaking terms, but like everyone from Berean, and I won't say everyone, a lot of people from Berean are like, fucked up. And it's because everybody there is like sick in the head. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, just to think about, like, I don't know. I just feel like you have to be, like, psycho to be in, to be in there. Do you mean, like, the kids are fucked up, too, a little bit because of what they're going through? Yeah. 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 It's, like, it's bad. As I spoke to the ever-growing circle of Milford Christian survivors, as they all call themselves and each other, one name, that of Pastor Jim Loomer's right-hand woman, came up again and again. Like one of like these big big players at Berean, and she ended up being like the head. What do they call it? It's not principal. They say a different word for it. Headmaster. Headmaster. Yeah, headmaster had been something like that. Yeah. So she ended up being like basically the principal, and that happened after I left school. But she was my teacher, and she would boss everybody around, like all the other teachers around too. Right. She wanted to be the discipline person, the boss, everybody, and as I, you know, messaged you, she's just like Aunt Lydia in the handmaid's tale. I was like, every time I watched I'm like, oh, that's Mrs. Martin to my husband. As I've recently said on the Sticky Beak Facebook page, which you should join if you haven't already, I've never used a trigger warning on this podcast. This is true, even though I strongly suspect that our girl, Doreen Vincent, was likely the victim of repeated child sexual abuse and murder. At first, a trigger warning just didn't occur to me. And as time went on, I expected that if you were here, you knew what you were in for. But as I dig deeper into Milford Christian, Pastor Loomer, and his team of godly leaders, 
I ask that you listen with caution and not around little kids. The Bible says that God comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. But it's not just Mark Vincent who Milford Christian Church has comforted in his tribulations while little children suffer in silence. Turns out, there's a whole congregation. I'm Jessica Fritzigwire, and this is Sticky Beak, Season 3, Episode 5. Donkey Souls, Zigzags, and Mrs. Martin's Tree. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Find your freedom, little children. A big thank you to our sponsors, JPEX Financial and probate attorney Nia Swardowski. JPEX is a female-owned and operated financial services company. Jamie and Carol can help you plan for all phases of life, from homing in on retirement to planning for your children's education. Whatever the milestone may be, they'll be there to serve you. Please visit their website, www.jpexfinancial. Com, or call 860-430-5397 to speak with Carol or Jamie and take care of your financial future. And make sure your estate is in order with Nia Swardowski, a probate attorney who did mine and Joe's estate planning, something we've been putting off for years. Nia is excellent at her job and gave us peace of mind for our future. Please call 860 966 9968 or visit com. In the early spring and summer of 1991, three years after Doreen Vincent disappeared and two after James Loomer became pastor of Berean Christian, the authorities were looking for Mark Vincent. That January, he'd been found guilty of feloniously possessing a gun cops had found during their search for his daughter. Sound familiar? Since then, he'd skipped the $15,000 bail posted by a female friend and failed to report for sentencing no less than nine times, causing the exasperated judge to blow up on Mark's lawyer. Why can't you reach this man, the judge asked. Doesn't he have a place that he puts his head on a pillow at night? Mark, of course, had found a pillow, as always, at the Milford home of Kathy Androsco, who would soon become his third wife. The police would discover Mark trying to sneak out Kathy's back door, even as she insisted to police at the front door that she had no idea where Mark was. At almost exactly the same time, another of Milford Christian's most devoted congregants, Susan Martin, was enjoying a rise to power that can only be classified as meteoric. She had a family friend uh, who introduced her to the church. Back then. I don't want to name drop. I don't want to blame anybody. Definitely um, not. As far as the friend that introduced her to the church, they left a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was introduced in the early 90s. I'd say 92. In the beginning, she was just a regular church goer, you know, Sunday morning. Um, pretty average. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, she was teaching at the school, which is something she was not qualified to do. 
within a few years, she was kind of helping run the place and in charge of discipline. If you were in need of a, I don't even know what to call it. Like a correction? A SWAT. Okay. You were beat on the bottom with a wooden paddle. Mm -hmm. They would say that there was a maximum of three, but, you know, friends and family could get a little extra. <laughs> Within a couple of years, she was, I think they called her the assistant headmaster. Her title was dodgy, but she was the one that beat the kids. Okay. And she was teaching, she was teaching a certain subject or she was teaching in general? Uh, teaching in general. There were no, there was one college educated teacher in the entire school. Okay. As I listened to these news sources, some stories painted Susan as far from a boogeyman, instead merely off-putting and a little bit strange. She'd threaten you with camp at her house unless you ate your veggies. She kept her desk drawer stuffed with her favorite, chocolate, despite forbidding candy in class. Sometimes, at lunchtime, she'd ask for a bite of your food, some of your chips. I spoke to one woman who spent years at Berean and saw a granddaughter graduate from its academy. She told me this silly little story that would come to take on a deeper meaning. You want to hear something? I, I make this wonderful macaroni and cheese, right? Yeah. Well, I used, I used to make trays of it and give it to her. This is when, before she became crazy. Uh, like I said, I was, I was cooking for the school, you know, and she'd all say to me, ah, your macaroni is so good. How do you make it? And I say, make the way everybody else says. No, no, you do something else with it. She said, oh, I never taste macaroni and cheese like yours. And I said, so I make it like everybody else. And I told her how I make it. She says, no, there got to be something else. I said, okay, I'll tell you what the, the secret is. She said, what? I said, I put my love into it when I'm cooking it. You know what she said to me? If you give me the recipe, the real recipe of how you make it, I'll give you $500. Oh my God. She said that to me. And I said, Sue, you're not giving me $500. I'm making it how I told you. That's how I make it. I do not add nothing more than what I told you, except love. Okay? Well, I make it and it never tastes like yours. Well, maybe because I hate. Maybe the hate was going in it. Oh I don't God. know. <laughs> I don't know because I've never had anybody ever say they don't like my food. Although time and circumstance now sees Susan bound to a wheelchair, such does nothing to limit her power, which is sometimes not just figurative. If you ask Pastor Jim, Susan is so loved by the Lord that he's granted her special skills. May I, Sue? Just uh, uh, We have somebody here. I won't mention her name. Uh, who wheeled herself up to pray for a woman who was on the way out. This is just a few days ago. She wheeled herself up there, laid hands on the woman. The woman was in a coma. Her organs were shutting down. And the reason she went is the woman's grandson called Sue and said, hey, Sue, would you pray or come pray or something? And she went, wheeled herself in, in a wheelchair, laid hands on the lady, and the lady 
has, has come out of the coma, she's up eating, et cetera, et cetera. Her, func- her, kid, her uh, organs are functioning again. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't Sue. It was the anointing in Sue emanating from her. This just a couple days ago, three or four days ago, or maybe, was it last weekend? Yeah, last weekend. So, uh, point is, and I, I said all that, say, well, why do, we, why do we want to keep meeting? Because we want to stay in faith that what we have is greater than what's happening in the world. Other than her ability to heal, it quickly became apparent to me that another of Susan's favorite powers is that of the paddle. For the casual listener, this might explain why former Berean students, down to a one, to put it bluntly, hate her guts. After all, what child likes discipline or looks back with fondness on their strictest teacher? Especially when that teacher is an imposing 5 feet 11 inches and you're just a little kid. But it was much, much more than that. I don't know if you've ever just met someone and looked at them and just saw evil. That is how you felt with Mrs. Martin. It did not help that she was, like, probably, like, six feet tall. She was a very tall woman, and she was very built. Like, she was very stocky. Um, She wasn't skinny, but she wasn't, like, super obese. She was just this huge woman. But it was her face. It was her eyes. You could just see. I mean, she never smiled, and... When she did smile, it wasn't good. Like, it wasn't a good smile. It didn't mean happiness. There, it was usually she would smile after she hit you or she would smile when you got in trouble, stuff like that. But I don't know why Berean gave all of these people power. I don't know why Pastor Jim gave all of these people power. There was just a lot of messed up stuff. Mrs. Martin always going from classroom to classroom. As soon as she walked in, everybody straightened up. Their backs legit straightened up. I don't mean straightened up as an attitude. I mean, literally everyone sat straight like a board, kept their eyes on the teacher and didn't say a word. And while you will eventually learn about the physical discipline Susan meted out, Details that, just like me, you'll desperately want to unlearn. That's just one rotten nut that I need to wait to crack. First, we need to understand how Mrs. Martin developed her power and maintained the ability to use it time and time again, despite featuring on everyone's shit list, and not just the students. Um, well, nobody liked her. She was like the witch from hell. I'm telling you, she was so nasty. That's Phyllis, the lady with the $500 macaroni. Phyllis told me she didn't care if I used her name because everything she told me would be the truth. She's hurt everybody. Teachers, parents, children. She hurt everybody. She made the school a pariah. Despite the years that Phyllis and her entire family had dedicated to Berean, as congregants, teachers, and students, they all eventually left in anger and disgust over how Susan ran the place. I wanted to understand why she was able to control things like she did. That instead of leaving herself, she forced others to. Well, there was a time I liked her. Okay. But I, like I say, when all this came into play is after the school got started. 
that's when she became, now she became the principal. So now, like, the authority went to her head. Okay. You know? But, I mean, there was a time I liked her. There was a time when other people liked her. Do you think you she know? got worse? I mean, she was like a split personality. Oh, my God. You know? She had this side of her that was really nice. And then all of a sudden, the real side of her came out. And the real side that came out was not the good side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you think she uh, got... Did she get worse huh? as time went on? Did she, Do you think she got worse as time went on? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Susan wasn't just strict or strange. She was scary. I mean, I tried to avoid Susan as much as I could. My brother and I liked to, uh, to brag because we were some of the only people who were always like, no, there's something wrong with that woman. And like, we would tell our parents, like, we, there's something wrong with her. She's not right. She makes us scared. She makes us nervous. And it was just kind of like, oh, my shoulder be like, you know, oh, you're just kids and you don't like authority. Her moods would flip on a dime. One woman recalled a screaming outburst out of nowhere, with Mrs. Martin storming out of the classroom. The kids were in shock, with one girl crying steadily throughout. When Mrs. Martin returned, she went to the window, staring out as she apologized. Her husband loved her, she said softly, even though she was fat. Apparently episodes like this were a common occurrence. She just really made that place like a living hell, and... Not only did she use fear, like there was just, she was so unstable that she was either screaming at you or like crying in front of everybody. And then at the snap of a finger, she could go from crying right back to screaming at you and being angry. And then at the snap of another finger, be crying again and apologizing. And, but it wasn't like a genuine apology. It's almost like, she wasn't even aiming the apology at you. It was just really kind of like psycho, psychotic. It really kind of seemed like she constantly psychotically broke down. And it was just a lot to deal with, especially being a young child. And you don't understand what the hell's going on. It makes you not only scared, but really just uncomfortable. Like, that was probably a constant in Berean, was uncomfortable one way or another. And if it wasn't uncomfortable, it was scared. If it wasn't scared, it was just so mentally exhausted. Like, it was such a relief to go home. This wasn't normal discipline. Like I said, it felt like... Being in Berean, you had two lives, your at-home life and then your school life. And your at-home life was much more relaxed, even if you did believe in God. It was much more relaxed. I got to trick-or-treat. I got to watch horror movies. I got to be just a kid, you know? And in Berean, you had to be like this perfect. And when I'm talking about perfect, I mean like impossibly perfect child. And if you showed any signs of anything besides perfect, you either got screamed at or you got paddled. Compounding the kids' anxiety was the fact that Mrs. Martin didn't seem to follow any set code of conduct. So what perfect meant exactly was never defined. They would just terrorize the kids or humiliate the children. 
or they would use just sheer like fear to control you basically like you were honestly scared to do anything wrong and it seemed like you would try to be on your best behavior even more so than at home you would try your damnedest to be a good kid and it just seemed like the stupidest stuff even just having fun or laughing or it didn't matter what you did or what you didn't do you got in trouble either way and they would contact your parents and make it sound like so much worse than what had actually happened sources repeatedly stressed to me that it was impossible to please susan to do the right thing and she seemed to prefer it that way I would be beat for not singing loudly enough in chapel, one woman wrote me. But then if I made a point to sing loudly, I was making a mockery of God and got beat for that too. On a group chat I have with a couple of Berean survivors, that woman traded old photos with another who wrote, I could see you singing loudly in the pictures, trying to do the right thing. Susan beat me for singing with my tongue past my lower teeth, replied the first. I remember seeing other girls singing like that, and I was just mimicking them, I guess. Lower jaw kind of forward just a bit, and I got beat twice, like two separate times. I couldn't have been more than seven or eight. Berean itself also kept its children in line by instilling a healthy dose of fear. If you didn't have crippling anxiety before kindergarten, were you even raised evangelical? One of my sources tweeted a couple months before we got in touch can't even read yet because I'm four and I'm laying awake at night worried about going to hell if I can't figure out how to speak in tongues. Shamalama ding dong, Lord. Amen. But hell was no joke to Susan, who it turned out was well acquainted with Satan. Just as congregants at Milford Christian could be slain in the Holy Spirit, writhing and speaking in tongues, their bodies could also be invaded by demons that Pastor Loomer needed to cast out. Do you know, one woman wrote me, that they have a modesty blanket for when women get slain in the spirit? It's silk, like swaddle blanket size. There is usually a designated crotch watcher, a woman who walks around putting the blanket on them. It can also go on cleavage, obviously. One time some lady was rolling around trying to get it to fall off, and someone kept putting it back on her. When the devil came for a congregant, adults usually escorted the kids out so they wouldn't be scared. That was the case the day Susan Martin was exercised, although they did catch a glimpse. No, it was just one day we were at church and they made all of us kids leave because Mrs. Martin was like on the floor screaming, I hate you, and like a really demonic voice, just making a show of it. I doubt it was really anything real, I don't know. Hard to say, because she's got a lot of evil in her, but she also did a lot for show, so. For Susan, it was of the ultimate importance that the children became acquainted with Satan, too, and learn the proper respect. Mirroring the satanic panic that swept the nation in the late 80s through the mid-90s, she and her underlings taught the kids that the simplest, most banal things were evil and wicked. At a field trip to medieval times, the only other place the kids really went besides Massachusetts' old Sturbridge Village, her son bought a little pendant at the gift shop. When he came down with the stomach bug a few days later, Susan threw the pendant in the trash and prayed over him, insisting that the necklace contained witchcraft and demonic spirits. 
When her son got better a few days later, she told him it was because the garbage men had taken the trash away. And Susan wasn't the only one caught up in the hysteria. Camp Cedarcrest is like a camp that multiple people can rent or go there. And I think the week before our church was there, it was like the Cub Scouts. So our camp found in the woods like tons of these. They looked kind of like ghosts. It was like a cloth filled with bird seed and elastic band. Okay, so they thought that those were demonic. <laughs> okay. And so... I found a bunch of them and put them, like, near the girls' cabin, which was where Miss Janet was staying. And they, they like, prayed over them and, like, had to dispose of them because they thought they were, like, evil beings. And my parents were like, these are, it's bird seed. This is, there's seeds in here. Like, this is for birds. There's nothing demonic about this. So it wasn't even trying to represent a ghost. It was, like... No, bird feeders. Cloth, but the shape of a, you know, is the shape of a ghost, I guess, because it was like a ball. Yeah. With the rest of the cloth. Um, and so, you know, I just thought it was funny because it was ridiculous. Under Susan's watch, the kids were forced to be agents of their own redemption. Chokers and thumb rings, quite popular for young adults in the late '90s and early 2000s, were forbidden as a sign of bondage. The same went for wallet chains which Susan taught were Satan's chains holding the children in sin. During one morning chapel service that would eventually stretch to take up the entire school day, Susan demanded that the kids surrender those chains to her at the altar. Another morning, the offending objects were secular CDs. Kids dutifully brought them to the altar and handed them to Susan, who would then hand her daughter, Emily, about five years younger than the kids who had just given up their Backstreet Boys, a hammer. And so it was little Emily Martin who smashed the discs and freed the kids from Satan's clutches. It got a lot darker. Mrs. Martin would stalk around the classroom, asking each student if they were willing to die for Christ. That, it really is. It's almost like a, like a control, like power trip. Exactly. It's, it's really like, it's not, it's sick. It really is sick. This is a normal crisis for evangelical fundamentalists, one woman wrote in the group chat. They really believe that it is probable that they will be killed for their faith, that they will be made to choose between their faith and their life. Deny Christ or I'll kill you. I definitely said I would die for the big JC. I don't remember if I said I would or not, another woman replied. If I did, I was definitely crossing my toes. She could see my hands, so I would have to cross my toes a lot instead. That's how I got through. In my head. She made me say it, but it's not real. I remember secretly trying to flip her off. Susan made sure that the threat of hell invaded every second of the children's lives. She was fixated on the idea, sometimes to the point of ridiculousness, like the day she told a class that animals have souls. So if a donkey was bad, she told the kids, the donkey would go to hell. Whether there was one all-inclusive hell or a special donkey hell reserved for donkeys was not clear. Suddenly, her face turned down, and she scurried out of the classroom for about 20 minutes. When she returned, she'd obviously consulted someone because she said, forget what I said about animal souls, and then carried on like nothing happened. More than donkeys, though, it was the children's souls that faced eternal damnation. During choir, which Susan led, if she noticed a kid not singing loudly enough, Mrs. Martin would yell, sing louder or you're going to hell. 
I'm just remembering now, one woman wrote, that I got lockjaw from Sing Louder or You're Going to Hell. I was opening my mouth as far as I could. And it wasn't just singing. In chapel, we would have to, you know, we would sing, of course, in chapel. And we'd have to put our hands up, like, you know, as if we're worshiping mm-hmm. for the songs. And my arms were getting tired because this could go on for, like, you know, a long time. So my, my hands were about, like, head height. So my elbows were down. <laughs> and she's like, you know, pointing at me, get your hands up. And, like, my fingers were, like, going up. Like, I was, like, losing blood circulation because yeah. my, my arms were just so tired. And she's like, if, you're, if your hands are here, you're going to hell. Get them up. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, you know, trying to put my hands up. And I'm just like, uh, I can't anymore. And, like, it's just my body is tired. I don't think I'm going to go to hell because my body's tired. At that time, I was, like, I never got into the... Like, I always, you know, thought that this stuff was wrong, that I was being told by these people, religious stuff. But I, you know, since everyone, all the adults were saying, like, God is really going to hell, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of battling for a a while, like, I don't believe this stuff. That means I must be going to hell. (laughs) But then, of course, doesn't make sense. If you don't believe it, you know, that hell's real. Not even an innocent Christmas tree was safe. Here's another student whose mother taught at Berean. My mom had like a little tiny Christmas tree. It was maybe a foot tall on her desk. And just like the entire rest of the school, she let the classmates decorate their desk in wrapping paper. Mrs. Martin came in and just started screaming like they were worshiping some false god and started ripping the wrapping paper off the desks, ripping the decorations off the doors and the windows threw my mom's Christmas tree out the window and told them that they were all going to hell in a handbasket. It's funny because I was talking to my grandmother last night and she had said something. I can't remember what she said now, but I think she threatened someone, that a group of people, that they were going to hell in a handbasket. And when she got reported, she denied everything. And I said, I totally know that she said that for a fact. I said, because apparently saying that you were going to hell in a handbasket was her favorite thing to say. Just like with the donkey souls, these threats might seem laughable. But to the children, Susan made the idea of hell very real. She wanted the kids to know what hell was really like, so that their fear became something tangible she could use. It's almost like they wanted you to think that, to like be afraid of hell so much that you would like live how they were saying. Like I remember always like as a child thinking of hell as like this place where you were like in boiling water and there was fire all over you and like all these things to be like holy shit i gotta do what they say i don't want to i don't want that to happen to me and it was like this is really how they're like raising children multiple times a day she would remind the kids what was at stake i would cry like at night because she would she would say like she would draw a zigzag on the board on the chalkboard Mm-hmm. be like and this is about like the rapture was going on like there, there were books about this like jesus is coming people are just going to disappear and so she's like when jesus comes and if you're sleeping and if you've done like if you've done something good on the side of the board and he comes then you're going to heaven and if if you did something bad before going to bed like you're going to hell and jesus comes and like i would fight with my little brother before bed like yeah you're so annoying you know, and then I would like cry myself to sleep because I'm like, I did something bad. And I'm probably gonna go to hell. You know, just 
and I told about that story and she's like she loved she's like I would cry myself to sleep too because of other you know other things that she just she loved torturing kids like emotionally when they're sleeping like I, I never felt like I was like away from that very graphic she's like you're gonna have burning gravel shoved down your throat for eternity what the fuck it was visual like I had visuals of what was gonna happen to me when I went to sleep <laughs> One woman did get a wry laugh from the memory of when she told the Catholic friend that she was going to hell for her beliefs. I wasn't trying to be mean, the woman told me ruefully. I was actually concerned for her. Susan didn't only know how to exploit that fear, she reveled in it. And I told you about when I walked into a dark chapel one time right with Mrs. Martin's dream. She was crying at the front of the altar. No, you did not. Okay. I was so freaked out by this one because, you know, the, the chapel, it's dark. The, the um, I don't know if you've seen pictures or anything, but the root, like, it, there's like a wood, it's wood on top, so it's pretty dark. Um, the lights were out. There's just one light on at the altar, and Susan Martin was crying up at the altar as we were walking into chapel. So, you know, it was dark, and she's... I already know how I feel about her. She's a scary person when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I walked in there just, like, looking around with other kids. Other people were there. Like, does anyone else feel, like, as weird as I do right now? Yeah. Um, and then she told us, she was crying. She's like, I had a dream last night that Jesus was holding me like an infant baby in his arms. And he was holding the worlds and everything was going to be okay. And she's like crying in the dark, telling all the kids this. Um, so that was kind of scary for me. I just, I didn't like that at all. Was she going to like, again, I asked these questions and it's like, I, I kind of know the answer, but I want, I just want to make sure. Was she going to lead chapel that morning or she was just in there? No, she's leading. This is how she led chapel. Oh, yeah. were the lights, so was that almost staged as you were coming in? Yeah, because she was, yeah, because she was in the one light that was on at the altar. And she was standing facing the students as they were coming in? Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't, like, praying privately. She was on display. One woman, now in her mid-30s, recalled her baptism at the hands of Jim Loomer. I was terrified of the baptism meeting that a few of us had had beforehand, she wrote, where they told us that we were going to speak in tongues if we hadn't already. I was so scared that it was an involuntary bodily action. I thought I would be possessed with the Holy Spirit as I came up out of the water. Little me was like, fuck that. But Susan opted to walk to the front and pray for me. And I freaked out because she's horrible. She walked toward me and I completely zoned out and didn't hear a word she said. I think I had a panic attack. I didn't know what that was at the time. I was so little. Looking back now, the woman notes that Pastor Loomer hadn't called anyone up to pray, much less Susan. And I realized she didn't have to do that, the woman told me. I think she wanted some part in it and control. I think she came up to pray for me publicly to show that she's good and that she cared about me. All a show. Sticky Beaks, I gotta take a break right now and deep breathe or go pet a puppy or something. You should too. There's so much more to come. 
If you want to listen to Episode 6, Matthew 18.15 and Mrs. Martin's Dogfight, it's available right now on Patreon before its official release in one week. Once you've had the chance to take a breath, please come listen. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Walk softly, children. Find your freedom, little children.